Welcome to Fantasy Sports Daily with Kyle Elfrink and Ray Flowers, Monday through Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Don't forget to use the promo code FSD20 for a 20% discount on the products over at FantasyGuru.com. Yesterday, he was a uh, disappointed, sad, and mopey Ray Flowers. Today, ho, 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 frown has been turned upside down. What a difference 24 hours can make. We welcome you to Fantasy Sports Daily, powered by FantasyGuru.com. Why is my buddy Ray Flowers so ecstatic? It is because his San Francisco Giants have made a move for power. Uh, not Cody Bellinger. Not Matt Chapman. Ray Jorge Soler has landed in your lap. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, it's a good addition. Now, we were supposed to get Jorge Soler. We, because I'm a Giants fan, we're supposed to get Jorge Soler and Mitch Hanniger. That didn't work. We were supposed to get Jorge Soler and Michael Conforto. That didn't work. Maybe the third time they'll actually get that 30 home run bat they've been trying to get for a couple years in the middle of the lineup. Yeah. Well, they're not going to get Correa or Judge back. So it's good to see they've at least settled for Soler. And they may not be done. Um, we, we will definitely talk it over as there are still some. Names out there, and I know Jorge Soler for a lot of people does not move the needle, but if you look at his numbers, he is one of the better and uh, more proficient power hitters in uh, all of baseball. So we will talk about that and plenty of other things. As noted yesterday, uh, football is kind of in the rearview mirror now. So Ray and I are uh, charging hard towards the beginning of the baseball season. And uh, Ray, I had a little baseball moment this morning. Mm -hmm. um, I take advantage of this every year. Um, I am not somebody who pays full price for tickets. I love whenever I can get a cheap ticket. I'm, okay. I'm still, still that guy. Right. Uh, once a year, Ray, uh, usually on pitchers and catchers day or around Valentine's Day, uh, the St. Louis Cardinals put out tickets Monday through Thursday, any game Monday through Thursday, except opening day, I think. But any game this year at home, Monday through Thursday, $6. Okay. And you also get $6 concession money, which means, wow. you know, you get, you know, a, Five or six nacho chips with your six dollars, you know, it's yeah. a decent deal. Um, but that that's whenever I strike, Ray. That, that's okay. when I load up on my games for the season. So I've already succeeded on that front today, and I'm kind of happy. Um, and it actually, Ray, I mean, to go watch the Braves hmm. for six bucks a ticket. Yeah. Um, let's see, the Mets, uh, who else? The Reds, Tampa, Baltimore. I mean, these are good teams that you get to see come into town and you don't have to pay anything. So I was very happy with the uh, with the schedule this year. What's the normal cost of the tickets? Like 20 bucks? Well, these are these are mostly upper deck. You can actually get lower. I kind of prefer up higher. And I, you know, if you, you go to St. Louis and you know what you're doing, you stay out of the sun as it's setting in the evening. Mm -hmm. So I kind of go down the third baseline. Um, I would say normally they're probably twelve to fifteen dollars. Right, so know, like half price, maybe twelve to eighteen. Okay. Uh, these are probably eighteen to twenty. Actually, come to think of it, so it's a pretty good deal. Plus, Ray, the six dollars. Don't forget that, that. that. That'll get you a hot dog. I was gonna say it'll get you a beer, but it won't, right? No, 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 yeah. no. We got those San Francisco prices. Okay. Um, we're we're up over ten bucks a beer now. Jeez, man. <laughs> Isn't it crazy? I always thought there would be like a a mental barrier to going over ten dollars right. a beer. There isn't. I, I, I've blown right through it multiple times. You have the Budweiser factory literally right down the street. Like, it, there's no cost to transport the beer to the stadium. You'd think they'd keep it in the single digits. I don't yeah, know. yeah. Well, what they've done is they kind of have thrown you off by making the sizes bigger. 
so you don't really know what you're paying per ounce. Right. You know, if it was 12 ounces for 11.25, I don't know how many. I think like the 12 ounce is about nine something, but most everything is 16 or 20 now. But if you go to the local pub down the street from the stadium, can't you get the same beer for six bucks? Oh, yeah. That's but so Ray, you can't sit and watch, you know, fantastic, talented superstars work okay. at their craft while you enjoy the beer. You have a TV at the pub, don't you? Yeah, but you're in a dank, dark place wow. and people are falling over and it's the floor is sticky. <laughs> and people are falling over. Is this the waste management open? What is yeah, going on? Yeah. But anyway, I, I was glad. See, that, that's one thing I will appreciate with baseball in here in St. Louis. You can still, like, like, I'm taking, you know, me, my wife, and my son to a game, Ray, and it's like literally, even with all the ticket charges, it's like 22 bucks for three of us. That's really nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there, there are ways around it still in baseball. Anyway, I'm happy. Ray's happy. Everybody's happy. We hope you're happy. Here as you join us on FSD. Uh, what do we got for today? We got a lot of things today. Mention Jorge Soler. We'll break that down. Uh, we mentioned Jorge Soler going to San Francisco. We mentioned he's a power hitter. Does he have to fear a place like Oracle? What is it? Oracle still? What the hell's the name of it? I don't even. I don't even know what they call it anymore. I yeah, guess it's Oracle Park. Yeah, Oracle Park. I think that it's, it's gone through about five or six names. But San Francisco is one of many ballparks that has a reputation of suppressing offense. Ray and I will get into Major League Baseball park factors today uh team preview takes us to the atlanta braves uh ray's going to be giving his his uh thoughts on jared kelenic i think most everybody has given up on jared kelenic we'll see if ray has given up as well uh we will continue our discussion of all things third base we will take a look at some of the surprises of last year can they repeat in 2024 good news for recovering shohei atani good news for recovering edwin diaz even joe musgrove who's recovering he's got some good news so we'll give you an update on those guys. And before we get out of here, we will uh, have our weekly check-in with Justin Finsterman talking all things NBA. As Ray Flowers no doubt knows, the NBA All-Star Weekend is coming up this weekend. So, I, I went to look at the NBA notes yesterday, you know, uh, and I, I sent a note to Finsterman. It was hilarious. The first 28 player notes, and I counted them, were injuries. There are more injured players in basketball than football, which is impossible. You I don't know how looked between the hours of like one o'clock and six o'clock, right? Because that's I, all you well, I looked get. at like eleven thirty or something. But yeah, but come on, man! Like there are literally more injuries in a basketball day than there are in a football week. Like it's, mm -hmm. I don't know how anyone. We'll talk to Justin. Right? <laughs> I know it's a big deal, right? But I, I really didn't understand the depth of this stupidity. That the uh, can you believe they had to put a limit in to win the MVP? Yeah, like what sport says you have to play X amount of games to win an MVP? They had to do it in basketball because no one plays. It's ridiculous. Yep, yep. And and there's actually a lot of pushback now because Joel Embiid, mm -hmm. MVP candidate, is now hurt. Yep. We'll talk about this with Justin. And I think it's silly, but they're like, oh, he was only out there because of this rule with the games played. It's like. Uh, newsflash, Joel Embiid has been like injured and limping for five years. I mean, to blame this on a rule. No, that's Joel Embiid. I'm sorry. but well, I I, And I said this, we talked to Justin about this previously. Michael Jordan was 38 or 39 in his final NBA season. He played 82 games. Mm. Like, it's just, it's a different, I don't get it. I don't get how you met. And this is the, the same discussion we've had in the fantasy space, like with Lamar Jackson and Christian McCaffrey. Like, yeah. these guys are great players. But if you're missing a quarter of the season... I don't know, Kyle. They shouldn't win an MVP award if you miss a quarter of the season. Come on. I agree. I agree. There's always plenty of guys who did play 
more than 70 games that are really good. So <laughs> I give it to those guys who yeah. showed up and did their job most days. Uh, but again, we'll have our NBA discussion with Justin coming up later in the show. Uh, promo codes, offers, specials, sales, all that good stuff, including uh, the Fantasy Baseball Draft Guide. Ray, take us uh, through the rundown. Yeah, at FSD20, FSD20, get you a discount on the products at fantasyguru.com. That's if you want to buy a hat, a t-shirt, the baseball product. Right now, if you use that FSD20 with baseball, you get a discount on the early bird pricing, which means for $40, you get all the preseason coverage and all the seasonal coverage. You get all the way through, okay, for 40 bucks. So it's a great deal. We also have our all-in NBA package, which includes the NBA, NHL, college basketball, PGA, MMA, and racing. All of those things for $75. All of the sports for $75. You get all the DFS, all that kind of stuff. For all the sports, again, NHL, NBA, NCAA, PGA, MMA, soccer, racing, and hoops. So that's the all-in NBA package. So check it out over at the site. Uh, use that promo code FSD20. Let's go. Okay, let's go. Let's get rolling with the show here uh, at FSD. If you got any questions, comments, whatever it is, hit us up in YouTube, Facebook, uh, what else, X, wherever you're uh, following us. We will take those uh, questions, those comments, and uh, pass them along as something catches our eye. Uh, Ray, we start with the news with your Giants. Um you know, there are names still out there, big names. I mean, Jordan Montgomery, uh, we mentioned, you know, Blake Snell, Cody Bellinger, uh, Matt Chapman. There are other names still floating around. So money still to be spent. And uh, most of this delay is kind of driven by one guy, Scott Boris. It appears that uh, he has set a price tag. And until somebody meets it, he's not going to bother with any of his guys signing. So even though we're like the week of pitchers and catchers reporting, some of these guys do not have homes. Jorge Soler, though, has a home. Uh, three years, $42 million, which isn't crazy at all. You know, $14 million for a guy to hit in the middle of your order is not bad. And, Ray, I mentioned the home run potential right now in his career. He's got 170 home runs in 3,030 at-bats, um, which is a very fine percentage. Now, not every year has been huge because there have been injuries. But, Ray, he hit 48 in 2019. In just 40 games that COVID year of 2020, he hit eight, uh, 27 in 2021. Now, he played less than half the season in 2022, and the number was way down. But then last year, Ray, 36 homers. Mm -hmm. Now, the issue is it's it's great to get these home runs. He doesn't do a whole lot else. Like in the fantasy world, Ray, this is like home run or bust. I know he can hit okay. He gets his ribbies. But nothing else is really going to emerge here for Jorge Soler outside the chance of a top 10 home run hitter this year. Yeah, he is kind of your classic power hitter. Uh, there's a high likelihood he spends most of his time at the DH spot. Uh, he does do a good job of taking a walk. Uh, I think it's like six, seven straight years where he's had a 10 plus percent walk rate. So his on-base percentage is usually pretty solid. So he's more almost of a, actually of an on-base percentage guy than a batting average guy. Mm -hmm. He's not going to run. Uh, he has done a much better job the last three years at making contact. So you know, the, the 250 average he had last season, that's doable. It's it's probably the high watermark. So if we're talking about a guy with a high watermark of 250 and batting average, two steals, you know, and then you start talking about Oracle Park and it, what it can do to power hitters, it's a good signing for the Giants. It's a good price point for the Giants. It's hard to get excited about Soler, though, in the fantasy game, given everything. Yeah, he, he is still, Ray, despite the fact that he's going to get hit in the heart of the order, be on a decent team, and probably if he's healthy, come very close to 30 home runs and beyond. He's still a guy that, you know, maybe is a fourth outfielder. It's like just because 
you know, that one number shines, but everything else is extremely ordinary. Um, it's, it's kind of surprising, even with the ribbies, Ray, that, you know, despite all these home runs, he's got one year of, and it was a huge year. It was that year he hit 40 plus with Kansas City at 117 RBIs. He's not had any other year, Ray, over 75, which is kind of wild because, again, the home run numbers are there. If you're hitting, last year was 36 home runs, and this is no fault of Jorge Soler. This is getting guys on base, and we've talked about the Marlins before. That offense was very, very sleepy last season. Ray, if you hit 36 home runs, you should at least be at 90 ribbies. <laughs> you should at least be there. And he was at 75. And maybe that changes with San Francisco. I don't know that offensively they're all that much better than Miami. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can tell me they are. But if he were to hit 36 home runs this year, I guess that would be the other number that could happen is the RBIs for him. Yeah. And, you know, the Giants, you know, they, for whatever reason, and we've talked about this on the show, people, there seems to be a perception that San Francisco is an asshole. <laughs> not the team, not the stadium, the city, right? And there, there is like a four-block area that is an asshole, okay? But I think pretty much every metropolitan area mm -hmm. in the United States has that spot. The Giants can't convince Ours is anyone. about a 50-block uh, area, Ray. Uh, <laughs> okay, okay. Just, for whatever reason, the Giants can't convince anyone to take their money. It's really weird. So the, the front office is getting smashed, which I understand, but as we've discussed here many times. Well, here's the thing, right? Are yeah. they willing to spend like the Yankees, the uh, Dodgers, the Cubs? You know, I, you're, I mean, maybe it's a, but I wonder if they're really willing. I guess they did with Judge and they tried it with Correa. I mean, Correa would be here except for a, a, a screw up with the, the medicals. Yeah. I mean, he'd be here. They I offered those two guys like, like $600 million. Like they offered him money. Yeah. And they've offered Otani money. I, I mean, Otani to me was always going to LA. Mm -hmm. I, I think that was his goal all along. And I think you see it in the deferred money. Like mm -hmm. he was staying in LA. Right. They may, they offered him money. I don't think he didn't go to San Francisco because of the city. I, I, that, I think to me, that is more of like a, a baseball fan kind of lazy excuse. I think, mm -hmm. I, I don't think these players, they've all been to San Francisco and hell they, they, the ballpark's great. It's a, all they see, newsflash for everybody out there, all they see is the inside of a Ritz-Carlton, and then they take the bus to the ballpark. And, it's, and, and when they're on the bus, it's not like they're tourists, and they're looking out the window at everything, and most of them are, got their eyes closed and their headphones on. Right? So, like, this thing on the city, I ball players to me, yeah, okay, Milwaukee. You know, they probably think, well, God, Milwaukee is in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, what is there to do? Mm -hmm. I don't I don't buy this thing with San Francisco, the city being a turnoff. Well, it's weird because they, they have been involved. They seem to have been runner up for like 50 players. Like they, mm -hmm. they just can't. And, I, you know, they have been very willing to my dismay as a fan to give everyone opt outs in every contract they've ever given. Like I, mm -hmm. they give opt outs, opt out, opt out. Opt. So it seems to be an attractive situation for contract wise for players too because hey if you don't like it here leave after a year or two which i don't i wouldn't do if i was the owner of a team but they 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 have you know bringing it back they have they have a solid team and we saw a solid team win 107 games years ago and i don't know if the front office got swayed by that thinking that happens all the time because it doesn't mm -hmm. you know yeah. we said it as it was happening come on man you got to do more you can't try to run this back uh and the giants have kind of been in that zone where they've They've lived off the three championships last decade. And the fans say, okay, great. Let, what are we doing now? Like, it, there's no more goodwill. 
okay, the goodwill is gone. We won the World Series. It's time to move forward. You look at the team, and it's like, again, they've got a bunch of professional hitters, as they call Mm -hmm. it, right? Veteran guys that are are effective. They'll do some platooning and all that. But to your point, they don't – I mean, the only power bat they really have that they can count on is Solaire. they got a bunch of guys in the 15 to 20 home run range that need to be platooned. It's not an imposing lineup that Solaire enters. Uh, D Money in the chat room mentions Boston kind of having that struggle too. I think San Francisco is a bit more willing than Boston to spin. Uh, Boston's got an ownership group that I, I don't know if the Red Sox, I know they would dispute this like crazy, but I don't know if the Red Sox are their number one thing. <laughs> you know, they also own Liverpool, <laughs> you know, across the, across the ocean. And, and, you know, it's really what's the bottom line and how can we make money? That's, that's what the group is about. And, and Boston has really slashed and, they have not been in the market for some of these guys that San Francisco has. You know, there was no connection of Aaron Judge to Boston, no connection of Shohei Otani to Boston. Um, you know, there was with San Francisco. They appear to be trying. More than anything with San Francisco, Ray, probably the biggest change has been uh, getting people into the stadium. You know, you, yeah, you it's been, talk, that's changed a lot in the last two or three years. It really has. And, uh, you know, talking about the discounts, I get my phone, I get updates from the Giants. Hey, buy tickets. That didn't happen five years ago. Buy tickets. They were all sold out. So, you know, it, the world's different with after COVID and, you know, the team's kind of taking that little bit of a downturn. And, you know, there's a like to your point about the barrier. There's a lot to do here. Mm-hmm. You know, there you can do there's everything is within an hour and a half. Right. Everything. So you, you need to put a product out there that's successful. And they have a great opportunity because the A's obviously all those fans you know, they don't even know where their team is going to be to cheer them. Right. But um, I, I don't know. Maybe it's the ballpark and not a, the ballpark in the sense that it's not good. But like. You know, look, I looked up the park factors this morning for Solaire, and, you know, he obviously didn't care because he wants the money and this is where the best spot for him is. Yeah. But 27th the last three years, according to park factors for right-handed power hitters, this is not, you know, is his odds of hitting 35 home runs here are lower than they would be in almost every other park in baseball. What, what, what was Miami, who's not known as a hitting ballpark? Where do they stand in terms of park factors for home yeah, runs? Yeah, Miami was 28th. Okay, so, so he improved. Point. He did. He went up a spot. <laughs> uh, good segue. Let us go into MLB park factors. And uh, these are things that probably players and agents pay attention to, I think. Maybe more so than where are people sleeping under over, underpasses. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm wrong there. Uh, but, Ray, we've been profiling an article from the uh, Draft Guide each and every day. And uh, park factors is up next. This is something that... Um, I, I would say, Ray, I remember when you and I kind of started getting together, you know, 2008, 2010, where, mm-hmm. wherever it was. Um, and, and this was kind of fun and new and, and fresh. You know, this was one of the the analytics that uh, people I felt, even if they weren't truly understanding of how it's computed and everything, it was something people wanted to know. They'd always thought this, mm-hmm. but now we had a number. And, and not that it just arrived in 2010, but I think it became a lot more mainstream. We had all these new ballparks. We had things like San Diego, things like San Francisco, Seattle, like all these new ballparks were popping up and, and they were really suppressing offense. Uh, Ray, it's still something to think about. I, I don't believe people um, give it as much time as they used to. You know, there are so many other stats to look at that are player specific. Mm-hmm. But the fact that, and this is one of the beauties of baseball, everything's different. It's not a football stadium. It's not a basketball court. It's not a hockey rink. Yeah, 90 feet down the line, but the ballparks and the distances and the walls and the the outdoor, you know, element, that all changes in Mm -hmm. baseball, which is a real attraction. It's it's fun. It's exciting as a fan. um, And it does make a difference for how the ball carries and how the ball plays in these these spots. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think that every – 
And if they don't, they're disastrous. Every projection model factors this in, right? And even look at the, the rankings over at fantasyguru.com today. With the signing of Jorge Soler being in this lineup, in this ballpark, we dropped him 10 spots in the rankings. Hmm. I mean, that's just, you know, it's that's the way you got to look at it. And the, the park factors piece is, it's interesting for me from an analyst perspective because sometimes you look here at this resource, sometimes look at this resource, and they don't quite match, yeah. which is interesting. You know, a it's a little like, bit like war. Yeah, you know, I can still have a high war, but it may not be exactly right from baseball perspectives or baseball reference to fan graphs. You know, and park factors can run this way too. They can, and so that's a little interesting. You know, you got to kind of meld the two together, at least be aware of the two, and try to factor in you know the differences that are or attained by the different sources, but the, the, we do have the data now, which we didn't have direct access to, to your point a decade plus ago. Uh, we can look at lefty righty stuff. We can look at one year, two year, three years. Yeah. We can look at nighttime daytime because ballparks, obviously to your point, a, a park could play drastically differently when it's 90 degrees during the day and 68 degrees at night. So we have that data. So we, we have the ability to, to mine the data, uh, there are limits to it, and we don't want to make it the overarching reason we are pro or con with the player, but it has to be factored in when you're doing that analysis. Well, I, I think um, as we look at this sheet that you've prepared for us, one of the key things is these can vary from year to year. Um, and some of that is because the ballpark can kind of change. You know, uh, there's been a lot of, uh, who is it? Is it Atlanta uh, or even St. Louis? I think ever since they've built like the ballpark village is what they call it in mm -hmm. St. Louis beyond the walls. It's kind of changed the wind. And the way it comes into the ballpark. Mm -hmm. um, so as those things occur and, and happen, that can change. Uh, Ray, we saw last year with Toronto, the, the dimensions change with the height of the wall in certain spots. Baltimore pushed left field way back. Mm -hmm. I don't think going into this year, I haven't, I'm sure there are changes somewhere, Ray. I haven't seen anything with a dramatic impact like we had with Baltimore where people are like, oh, this is going to play differently, or Toronto even. Is there one out there with a ballpark that you've come across this offseason? I don't recall seeing one. I don't either. So either we're both missing it or it didn't happen. Yeah. We're probably not both missing it. So I <laughs> don't think it's happened uh, in a global sense. Uh, it, it, you know, because teams, you know, they want all the seats they can and sell all the tickets and all that. But they're, you know, changing walls is not easy, right? Ripping seats out and moving a wall back 10 feet. You got to do kind of surveys on it's a lot of work, and I don't recall a team making a drastic change like the Blue Jays did last season. Yeah, D Detroit was another one. Uh, they used to have a left field that was like 480 feet away. <laughs> it was just so far away, and they moved that in like 25 feet, and they even moved the bullpens in behind left field. It is a lot of work. Um, okay, give us the rundown here, Ray. What are we seeing for this year um, with, with ballparks? And, and, and when you say, oh, that's a good hitter's ballpark, that's a good pitcher's park – are you basing that off three years? Is that is that kind of what you're looking at with, with yards? I mean, we've fallen into this three years is a good thing in baseball. I don't know. I mean, I honestly haven't done a statistical breakdown of is three years better than five or two. You know, we do three. We've always done three for players. We do three for play, uh, the, the ballparks. It's easy to find that information over at Baseball Savant. And, you know, basically this is one of those numbers that has been normalized. So it's very easy to understand. 100 is average. If the number is over 100, it favors hitters. If it's under 100, it favors pitchers. Very simple. So anyone can understand this. Uh, if it's 107, you're 7% better. If it's 93, you're 7% worse, right? Mm -hmm. And you have the ability to look at ballparks. So there are ballparks where a lot of runs are scored, but there's not a lot of home runs hit. There are ballparks where there's a lot of home run hit, not a lot of triples hit. So you have the ability to, to factor it in, you know, 
almost every source will have singles, doubles, triples, home runs, and runs scored. Uh, some park factors go a little bit more even in depth than that. Uh, I think that three years is a good way to look at it. And as you said on you know on the on the screen there, I think that sometimes we miss this piece. If your pitching staff sucks, you have no pitching. Everyone gets hurt. You're throwing a bunch of AAA guys. Your ballpark artificially goes up offensively because the pitching for one of the teams for half the season sucks. And so people don't always factor that in. If your pitching is great, the ballpark might be slightly offensive-minded, but because your pitching is great, now we're at a league average level. So people I sometimes think that it's a static number. You know, Great American Ballpark is going to be an offensive environment. Like, it's just going to be. San Francisco Oracle Park, likely to be a pitcher's environment. But the teams themselves have an impact. The, the teams that come in to visit, you know, if the, if the Giants don't see the Braves this year, they don't see the Reds this year at the stadium, okay, right? Like, it changes. So uh, that has to be factored. And I think that's just a, it's a small piece. It doesn't change it dramatically. But it is something that can change it from year to year. Well, and, and I think this can really be used for DFS players because a lot of times, and again, a lot goes into DFS lineups and picking and choosing guys. But Ray, there are ballparks where if you're a visitor and you're coming into a ballpark that, uh, let's say, plays very favorably to left-handed power. You know, these are things in DFS where, oh, I've got a left-handed hitter who doesn't really, you know, he doesn't have great power numbers, but he can certainly put a jolt into the ball. And, oh, yeah, uh, he's at Wrigley tonight, you know, and, and that plays awesome for righties or lefties or whatever the number may be. And so I think when you arrive at these ballparks as a visitor, um, I think that's a key component for DFS building. So that would be one factor here that I would say you can pull away with park factors. Um, Ray, what about in-season? You know, I mentioned that in-season aspect. Mm -hmm. Is it something where we can only really get legitimate park factors like 100 games into the year? I mean, people want to jump on this in April right. or May. Oh, my gosh, look at the ball bouncing out of this yard. That's a very dangerous game to play early in the year. It is. I think, and that's why I think to your point, your question a minute ago about is three years a good way to look at it. I think three years is a good way to look at it because it takes a while for a change. If, if a ballpark, you know, they lower the fence four feet and they moved it in twenty feet, and, and all of a sudden, you know, in the month of April, the home run rate's up twenty percent. Well, that makes sense. Fence is lower; it's closer to home plate. If kind of randomly, nothing has changed. The weather's been very similar, and they haven't moved the fences, and the home run rate's up twenty percent. What's going on? Let's look at some pitchers. Oh, this pitching staff's got a home run to fly ball ratio of 19% this year. It was 11% last year. That's probably part of the reason there's a little bit of just luck factor going on. So I think looking at things in the three-year window helps to remove that concern. I think that if we look back to the more micro level and we notice a significant change early in the season, it's something to track, but it's not something that's necessarily actionable because there has to be more digging to, to get to the truth versus just the number that you see on the park factor screen. Last thing on this, um, and it leads into our uh, team preview. Uh, truest park in Atlanta. What was it on the home run park factor last year, if you've got that in front of you? Yeah, you want for, So you don't want only for 2023? Uh, yeah, yeah, kind of because Atlanta had all those home runs. You know, I'm wondering, you know, with Olsen and Acuna, right. and they have seven guys with more than 20 home runs, yeah. something like that. By the that. way, Estadio Alfredo Harpelu, uh, the foreign ballpark, was 381. <laughs> 381 folks probably that should be Mexico, playing was that Monterey yeah, yeah. probably should be playing major league games in a stadium that's got 381 <laughs> since that's 281 percent greater than an average ballpark um the number one was globe life field oh let me oh, i have it on right hand so let me fix it for both sorry um the home run factors for 2023 
Globe Life Field was two, number one. Great America Ballpark was two. Yankee Stadium was three. Dodger Stadium was four. Truist Park was five. Okay. So they were fifth, and their number there was 119. It was 19% better than league average. Surprised to see Dodger Stadium up there, which we always think of as a, a pitcher's park, but not last season. Uh, traditionally has been. So there you go, Park Factors. You can dig up more in uh, Ray's and Fantasy Guru's Draft Guide, which, as you see, you can get for 40 bucks. FSD20 is the promo code there. Okay, Ray, let's talk about the Slug and Braves. That is our team preview. Uh, if you missed it yesterday, beginning yesterday, uh, we are going team by team over the coming month plus, uh, talking all things fantasy for each and every Major League Baseball team. We started with Arizona today. We hit you with Atlanta and Ray, we like to begin with a player profile, and we are talking about a guy that is new to the Atlanta Braves, not new to fantasy circles. Um, Ray, it's Jared Kelenic. Three years ago, this would had been a superstar in waiting. Um, he, he would hit 300. He would be pounding 25 homers, driving in 90, scoring 100, these kind of things for Kelenic. Ray, it's actually been a disaster. And I, I, I hate piling on a guy and it's god what's he played 250 games yeah, a year and a half mm -hmm. but ray it's awful it's been an awful 250 games there's no ways around it he's a mendoza line hitter he's got a ton of strikeouts he's not covering up those k's with a lot of home runs uh the steals haven't been there the ops is a joke i mean it's, it's pitiful his career ops is 655 yikes but now ray he goes to a new spot where maybe there's less attention, less hype, less pressure. Are you still believing in Jared Kelenic with the move uh, east to the Braves? I think all those points you you brought up there, they've got to be good. The new new environment, the ball, the ballpark, the team, the fact that he's going to hit eighth or ninth and there's no pressure on him, just go play. I think all of that is extremely positive for him. He needs – it's crazy to think, but he, at 24, he needed a change of pace, and he's getting yeah. it. You know, <laughs> um, he Like you said, he was can't miss. Like for those people that are new to baseball or forgotten this, he was can't miss all the scouts. Everybody, he can't, this guy, if he doesn't live fully up to expectations, could still make all-star teams, right? Like he's really, just hasn't happened. Now I will say that if you look a little bit deeper, you look at the StatCast data, because he's talked about tweaking his swing a lot. They've, there's been a lot of that because they're trying to find the secret sauce and everything. His exit velocity went way up last year. His hard hit rate went way up last year. His launch angle lowered a bit, so he, he focused more on hitting the ball, I think, on a line than versus trying to power the ball into the field. So we did see growth. His expected batting average, his expected slugging percentage, and his expected WOBA all were higher than the actual raw number was. So the batted ball data is trending in the right direction. Would it, you know, would a guy hitting 260 with the 430 slugging percentage excite you? No. Okay. So this is not whoa, but he's moving in the right direction. I think his biggest problem to date, beyond the obvious, has been the lack of putting the ball in play. You know, he's got a 31% strikeout rate. And we talk about this all the time. When you're over the 30% mark, you're in the danger zone. You're just, you just are. You fall in the slumps. Uh, those kind of guys are, are hoping to hit 250, which is what it's we see. Not, I was going to say, it's a minor miracle that he can have a K rate like that and even be at 253. Like, if he could just drop that to 26%, we may be talking about a 290 hitter. Yeah, and and you're totally right. And part of the reason that happened last year is we build the package of who Kelnick is. His batting average of balls in play was 359. Now he hit the ball again much harder. So, okay, we can accept some of that growth, but he's not going to have a 360 batting average of balls in play year after year. So, when that number recedes, and let's say it comes down to 315, if he doesn't make more contact, he's hitting 238. 
That's just that's the that's how the game is played, right? So the Braves need to work with him to make more contact. Uh, and then if he does, you know, you ask the question, am I in on him? Are I excited about him? No. But if he went 15-15 this year, I still wouldn't be shocked. And that's not sexy. But let's not forget that we had a guy at the bottom of the batting order for the Braves last year that went 20-20 in Michael Harris. You can do it. He was very productive in this massively productive Braves lineup. Kellick is someone that people shouldn't forget about, but he's not someone that people should be rushing to greatly outpace his ADP either. You know, what, what's crazy here is he just he can't hit off-speed stuff. Uh, if you look at his three years, Ray, um, and kind of look at his success against certain pitches, every year he is below average against the cutter, the changeup, the curveball. He, he fastball, he killed it last year. Um, slider, he was good. He improved against the slider. But if you slow him down or, or get him guessing, it's that's the issue right now. And and that often is for for guys with high K rates is, yeah. you know, they just get fooled by the secondary pitches. They're looking dead red. And and that's kind of what he's been looking for, it appears, through his first 250 games. Yeah, and there's been a lot of this. And, you, you know, you could imagine Kelnick until he reaches the majors, right, is the best baseball player within 600 miles, right? Everywhere, he, everything he's ever done, he's hitting 700 and there's all, right? And he gets here and all of a sudden it's hard and it's difficult. And that's the, the mental part of the game is, is extremely – challenging we don't talk about it a lot but how do you deal with failure because even the best you fail you know seven out of ten times the hitter six out of ten times you're getting on base right you fail to do that it's tough and how do you handle that and what it seems to have happened with Kelnick is we started the tinkering thing and you, you've seen this with Cody Bellinger who's famous for tinkering sometimes it's worked for Cody Bellinger last year sometimes it hasn't the year before right so I've you know done a lot of digging into to Kelnick, and there's been changes with his hand placement, changes with his lower half, changes with his load. Like they're searching, trying to find that. That all-star player is still in there, right? He's still there. It's just going to be really important that he, he feels comfortable, that he gets off to a good start. Because if he gets off to a good start, part of that winning atmosphere, part of that great lineup the Braves have, he could have a solid season. Well, and I think he is a guy, you mentioned how talented he is. There's no doubt about that. He's a guy who hasn't had many struggles, and that's one knock on him. People say he he has taken these struggles really hard. And what was it last year? He was beating up the, the water. I mean, knocked him out for like two months when he kicked the, the water bucket or whatever. Yep. Uh, he is a guy who's got to understand this is the major leagues. It's, it's not easy. Um, so he's got a little on him in terms of the personality and how he handles the struggles. I'm looking at ADP, Ray. He's still like right at 50th in the outfield. That's a little high for me. I know the potential's there, but th this is a guy who could be platooning. I, I don't think he's not going to be out there against lefties at all this year, is he? Wouldn't I don't imagine. think that I wouldn't imagine. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I know there's not a lot right? of lefties. Yeah. But, you know, that's something late in the game where he's going to be seeing lefties. They're going to be bringing a lefty out of the bullpen because right. it gets Kellenic out of the game, which maybe a team would rather face him with a righty. I don't know if he's struggling, but um, it, it, I, I get it. And again, I don't think he's done or cooked. I like the move for Atlanta. Mm -hmm. I think it's an awesome move by the Braves. Mm -hmm. A great move by them and their franchise getting him at the time they're getting him. But as a fantasy owner, I guess I don't want to get in at this price uh, for this year with Kellenic. Uh, moving along to some other topics with the Braves, um, outside of the player profile there, raise some uh, fantasy-specific questions. Number one, we've got four of these for every team. Spencer Strider, number one SP in fantasy baseball. 
Are, are you there with Spencer Strider? I think the only question was Strider living up to that expectation. Is, well, there's maybe two. One is, can he keep the innings level where it was last year, 186, or even drive it a little higher? And two, is there going to be fortune with the home runs? We saw this last year. For people that forget, there was a period of about two weeks last year where there was sheer panic. <laughs> I'm panic with Spencer Strider, right? Because the, the fly ball is in the home run. Uh, if he can keep that in check, and in the end he did, 1.1 home runs per nine. It's below the league average. He was totally fine. If he can keep it on the field, keep the home runs in check, I'm totally fine with him going number one. I, uh, I've i always been a Cole guy in recent years. I, I think I could make the move to Strider. I, I think it's really tight between both of them. If you wanted to say, hey, he's got youth on his side, you may be right. Uh, so that may push you in the direction of Strider. Question number two, a guy who does not um, have youth on his side. He'll be 35 this year. Ray, how much does Chris Sale have left? Um, big trade. Braves bring him in. He's going to be in this rotation. Uh, we've talked about him a ton. I mean, in effect, Ray, he has not thrown the baseball since 2019. Like, I, I, I mean, I know their innings and stuff. Last year he got to 100. But, Ray, we're talking about a guy now who is five years removed from his last, like, good season, I guess you could say. ADP is around 150. So people are people are buying it. And, you know, it, when the league is everyone's throwing 150 innings, if he throws 137, it's fine. If everyone's throwing 200, 137 wouldn't be fine. So part of it is that. But I think that even with the struggles, even with the health issues, when he's been out there, it's kind of been Clayton Kershaw-like. It's been really good when he's been out there underneath the struggles. Now, can he throw 100 innings? I, right? Like that's – I can't – I can break the player down all I want. I have no idea if he can throw 100 innings. I don't know. So I'll, I'll give I, you a guess, Ray. You're, you're going to say no? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say. Well, so, and the other aspect, like with Boston, Ray, you know, they're paying him a ton. He was the big signing. He's the ace. They, right. If he's healthy, they're sending him out there every five year, days until he breaks down, really. That's what they're doing. With Atlanta, Ray, I think they're really going to massage him through the season, a la Kershaw. Mm -hmm. I, so even if he's healthy, I think, it's going to be less than people thought they were getting. Let's say he makes 28 starts. I don't think we're seeing 200 innings. I don't think we're seeing even 180 innings with all those starts. I think it's more like 160. Like they will really limit him even if he's making those number of starts. Yeah, I'm looking at some projections. Like Steamer has him at 141 innings. Uh, the Bats got him at 121. So there's even some you know dispute there. I think that's a good range, 120 to 140. I think that if he got there, the Braves would be happy. But to your point, Kyle, that means that there's four inning outings. That means there's outings that are being skipped, yeah. even if he's healthy. So, yeah, that's that's the issue with Sale. And also, you know, if if you have the ability to make changes in your lineup daily and you have stuff on your bench, that's fine. Because there's going to be times where he's scheduled to pitch Wednesday and they tell us Wednesday morning, oh, we're skipping this start. Yep. Like, that's going to happen. So he could be a frustrating on. Uh, question number three. You talked about the uh, order, the lineup and a guy at the bottom who succeeded. Michael Harris, does he make a home in the first six of this lineup? Uh, Ray, last season, as good as he is, he had 24 games where he hit higher than seventh. And one of the issues I've had personally with Michael Harris is investing in a guy hitting that low in the order. It's not his skill set, but because of this lineup and how it's built, kind of the strategy they're employing, the fact that the top four is like locked down. I mean, you can't get into that top four with, with Riley and Olsen and Albies and Acuna. It's just a, so, but this year, Ray, it kind of looks like maybe Michael Harris is a fifth or sixth hitter on this team. Yeah. And let's not forget that through the first two months of the season last year, he was one of the worst players in baseball, statistically speaking. Go look at it. He was 
awful. And in the end, the numbers were the same as they were his rookie year, which is really impressive for a young player. I think that it's it's fair to say last year is the floor with him. I think it's fair to say let's add 15, 20 RBIs. Let's add 15, 20 runs because we're moving up in the order. I think, yes, uh, he should be someone – he should be hitting higher than six. For the majority of teams in baseball, he'd be hitting two. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah like I mean, three for a lot of teams. Yeah, yeah. So this is a scenario where if everyone's healthy, like you said, he's not getting in the top four. Could he Could he move past Azuna? He could. But if Matt Olson's hitting fourth, he's a lefty. Harris is a lefty. They're going to want that righty in the middle there. So six probably is where he ends up. He certainly can be better than he was last year in the counting categories because of it. And then finally, and this ties into park factors and certainly with this team, uh, Ray, did everybody max out their home run potential last year? We got 54 from Olsen, 41 yeah. from Acuna, 40 from – how many people realize Marcelo Zuna had 40? Yeah. I, I've been out on Marcelo Zuna. And nobody drafted him last year. That was one of the best draft picks in all of fantasy baseball last year, getting a 4,100 season from Azuna. Uh, 37 from Riley, 33 from Albie, Sean Murphy, 21, Rosario, 21. Can these guys go any higher? It's like, I almost, you draft all these guys, right? And you, you drop them five, five home runs this year. I think Sean Murphy could hit 25. Okay. But that's a, you know, that's only a handful of home runs up, but you're right. You know, it, it would be surprising if more than one guy saw an increase, right? Cause they were healthy last year too. That's another factor. They could be just as good on a per game basis, but get an injury. Uh, it's going to be very difficult for the Braves to in, increase where they were in that category, obviously historically good. So I think that your your point is fair, that they did max out. I think that's a fair way to say it. The uh, take the two big moves that Atlanta made, we talked about them both. Uh, you trade for Chris Sell, you trade for Jared Kellenick. They added some pieces on the bench, um, a change or two maybe in the bullpen, nothing huge, but Sale and Kellenick were the big ones in terms of the roster. Uh, the prospect watch, Ray, this is not um, a great, minor league system they're fine and obviously we've seen you know the last five years they've graduated everybody and that's why they have albies and harris and acuna all these guys so you expect that okay and they've traded guys away i will say aj smith schwarver ray it, with the idea that chris sales missing starts and other injuries are bound to happen i i don't know if he's draftable but that is a guy that probably ends up with 15 to 20 starts i bet somehow some way this season He's only 21 years old. He came late to baseball. He wasn't even a baseball player growing up, not per se. Uh, great stuff, like dynamite stuff. We saw him a little bit last year. They're going to need him. They'll need him in some role. If he made 15 starts, I wouldn't be surprised, to your point, Kyle, not just because of sale, but because someone else gets hurt. They give him a spot start. He looks good. He gets three or four you know, before they send him back down. It's tough to envision him making 25 starts this year. And if that happens, mm -hmm. things have gone really badly, I think, for the Braves. Because I don't think he's at this point of his development ready for that jump, but I also wouldn't be shocked if he made that jump. His stuff is pretty much top shelf. Yeah, um, I will throw out the name Hurston Waldrip, which um, he he's an advanced guy, and I don't throw him out. He, they want him to be a starter, but I throw him out because if they need someone help in the bullpen, if Iglesias, you know, acts his age or gets injured. Hurston Waldrop, again, don't draft. You don't need to do that. But I wouldn't be surprised if if he becomes a high leverage reliever for this season. Um, he, he was drafted out of college. He's done well in the mic. He throws hard. They're worried about, like, you know, like everybody else, can he go through the lineup three times? Can he throw more than 85 pitches? But if you had him for an inning, eighth inning, ninth inning, whatever, I think that could be a name we're talking about. Last thing on the Braves, Ray, uh, take a chance on blank with this Atlanta Braves team because everyone is so obvious. Let's do it. Let's talk Jared Kelnick. What the hell? I'll go Charlie Morton. Nice. Take a chance on a 40 year old. 
He's like 80th amongst pitchers. Yeah. That's why, why not? Yeah. Uh, pass on Chris Sale for me. I, I'm not, I, I've been out for years. Ray, I've been right mm -hmm. for years. I'm not changing my stripes now. I'm going to pass on Marcelo Zuna. I think okay. he falls back to being a 25 75 guy, which is totally fine, but it's way off what the expectation likely is after last season. Okay. That is a look at the Atlanta Braves for 2024. Tomorrow on the show, it's the Baltimore Orioles coming your way. Uh, before we get to our man, Justin Finsterman, and talk a little basketball, uh, Ray, third base is our position that we are focusing on this week. Uh, yesterday, we did our entry, you know, who were the top guns of last year, who led in the categories, the one big question. Today, we're looking at surprises. Um, and, and yesterday, when we went through the top 12 at third base of 2023, Max Muncy, Haesong Kim, Isaac Paredes, these were all guys in the top 12 at third base. Surprises. We'll get to them. I want to start with these two guys you've got listed. We did not talk about them yesterday. Jake Berger, who you can tell just, hey, he does not look good in white and teal, does he? Or defensively, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he looks good at the buffet line. You know, he, he plays a mean game of eat, but uh, in terms of uh, looking good in the Marley, that's kind of ugly, but he had a good year. Started with the White Sox, traded to the Marlins. And then Jamer Candelario, you see him with the Cubs. He played with the Nationals and the Cubs last year. It's going to be with Cincinnati this year. Let's start with Berger. Ray, we were just talking about Jorge Soler. You know, now with the Giants and seeing as kind of just a slugger and that's it. Berger, generically, you'd say, oh, that's just a slugger and that's it. Is, is that fair or is there something more here? And again, surprise of last year, look at that. 34 homers, 80 ribbies, and an 860 OPS. I will note this guy because he's from, I think he went to Missouri State. I've heard a lot about Jake Berger even going back to college. The dude has absolutely raked throughout his, he, he knows how to hit. Injuries have really slowed him down. But Ray, I can't say I'm stunned to see Jake Berger here. It's just, I wouldn't have expected it last year. I think nobody was talking about him. He got his chance and the guy hit like crazy a season ago. Yeah, he and he murdered lefties last year. Uh, I, I think that it's fair to say that what we saw last year can be who he becomes, right? I think he's a younger version of Eugenio Suarez. And some people are like, oh, hitting 30 home runs with 85 RBIs every year is not easy. And that there's value to that. His he had he had huge splits, like he hit 200 with the White Sox, he had 300 with the Marlins, all that. He's neither one of those guys. I think the 250 average, which basically mirrors what he did his first two years at the big leagues, I think that's about who he is. Uh, you know, he's a guy that doesn't strike out a ton, and that's an improvement he has made. He, he saw he's seen his strikeout rate tick down each of the last two years, which is nice. Uh, doesn't have any speed to beat things out. It's not going to steal bases. So it comes down to him basically staying on the field and being in the lineup every day. And it look you know, there, there's a fully the full intention of the Marlins to play him every day. Uh, I wouldn't draft him expecting 34. I'd draft him hoping for, you know, 28 to 30 kind of range. Mm -hmm. If he hit 34 again, I wouldn't be shocked. He'll be in the middle of the water. He could have another 80 RBIs. I'm kind of looking for a repeat fantasy season from what we saw from him last year, despite the fact that his performances, if you look at them, were drastically different with the Sox and the Marlins. He's very important to the puzzle, too, with the Marlins um, because of, of, you know, you lose Solaire for one thing, but they need some guys who can produce ribbies. Um, I think Berger can be that guy. He's really cheap. Um, he's not going to cost you much. And it's a limited player. Again, you're not going to get steals or runs or really even batting average. But, you know, as a guy that you can use as a corner infielder or strictly a backup when an injury happens, not bad at all. Jamer Candelario, the second guy there, Ray, um, we kind of 
thought we knew what he was, which was a very average, who cares kind of player. Those were the Detroit years. Then he had a really strong start with Washington. He was a big trade deadline get, as, as crazy as that sounds. There were no hitters traded last year, really. So Candelaria was the guy. Fine with the Cubs, nothing special. Now he goes to Cincinnati, Ray. And, you know, for whatever reason, we've talked about it before, the Reds wanted Jamer Candelario. They, they're pushing other guys out of the way to get Jamer Candelario. For the fantasy player, it's fun to have a third base, first base guy. Like, that's exciting. It's also mm -hmm. exciting to get a guy in Cincinnati. I, I can't see him topping last season. I, I don't know if he's – I don't even know if he's this kind of hitter. I, I'm I'm still a little in the prove-it phase with Jamer Candelario this season. Yeah, and when you're you know over 30 years old and you've been around for years and you're in the prove-it phase, it kind of still tells you about the player, right? It's kind of yeah. instructive. I think that Candelario, if you were to – let's profile this out. If he does what he did last season, I think it's a win, right? Would I expect him to hit 25, 30 home runs or drive in 90 runs? I wouldn't. Uh, I don't know why, like to your point, and we've talked about this previously on the show, the Reds brought him in. They have younger options that are cheaper. I don't – but they saw something here and they're going to play him. And they've already said, we're playing this guy. So I think that setting the goal roughly with last season, maybe it's up 10%, maybe it's down 10%, you know, but roughly last season, much like Berger in terms of the production, I think is fair. Um, and to your point, the, the positional flexibility is really the key for me. It's a nice ballpark. It's a nice lineup, uh, nice positional flexibility. But if you're hitting 250 and going 2075, eh. It's kind of interesting with, Berger, Candelario, we mentioned Muncie, Kim, Paradis. All those guys, in effect, surprise Ray just because the power numbers were way better than we thought. Like Muncie in the mid-30s, uh, Berger there, mid-30s, Paradis got to 30. Um, even Candelario at 22, Kim at 17. I don't think people expected that. So I, I bring that up, Ray, because if you're looking, well, who could be a surprise this year at third base? Maybe you just start looking at the crew of guys who could hit home runs. Because if, if you can find a way to crush 30 home runs, you're probably finishing in the top 10. And I look at this list, you know, guys who could do that. Suarez is dirt cheap. I mean, he's 24th at third base. Matt Chapman, dirt cheap, 25th at third base. Um Let's see, anybody else that I really feel, those two guys stand out the most. It's worth noting, Candelario, Paradis, even Max Muncy, Ray, they're all outside the top 15 at third base. Despite what they did last year, the fact that they are on our surprise list, the general public says these guys are not starting third baseman for this season. Yeah, and I think it's tough because these guys, they don't run at all. And when an era where the steals are on the huge uptick, you know, well, okay, Candelaria had eight steals or whatever it was, but you need to you need to run a little bit. And if you don't run a little bit, most of these guys don't, you need to have batting average. And we're talking about profiling these guys as 251 hitters, right? Mm -hmm. So it's just, you start digging into that, and then you start looking at youngsters, or you're looking at multi-position guys, and, and they're just more, more sexy options. I think a lot of people would be – I mean, who wouldn't be comfortable with Max Muncy, right? It's going to go 30-80, 80, right? Like, okay, it's great. It's going to hit 215. It's going to steal three bases. You know, you have to kind of build around some of these players, and some people are not necessarily looking to do that at that point of the draft. Well, I guess the other lesson as we talk about this position this year, I would say this. If you find yourself in the middle to late rounds of a draft, there is power to be had at third base like you're just looking for power, uh, third base isn't the worst spot to go. So you can take a look at that. Um, okay, that is a look at all things baseball. Good 50 solid minutes of some baseball talk here uh, this afternoon.
Uh, let's get some basketball, though, because we promise you that each and every Tuesday we've been doing it throughout the year. And the guy that's been helping us throughout the year every Tuesday, he's been helping you in DFS, helping you with your NBA wagering. Justin Finsterman is with us on FSD. Do apologize to Justin. Um, he has been waiting and waiting and waiting, but he's still here. Justin, how you doing today? No, I'm great. I'm still waiting, guys. How are you? Yeah, we're good. We're good. I, I'm still waiting for a, a big NBA trading deadline move, but I guess the deadline has come and gone, and we really didn't get anything last week, did it? It was last Thursday. I guess most of the big trades were earlier, you know, a month ago, month and a half ago. So a lot of, like, minor stuff, and I, I kind of picked up, Justin, the, the biggest news out of that trade deadline was the teams that didn't make a move. You know, the Warriors, the Lakers, right. the Bulls, right. you know, teams. But was there anything fantasy impactful, despite we didn't see huge moves? Is there anything that, that you'd mention here today that, that you think does make a difference for the fantasy player? Sure. I mean, Buddy Heel to the Sixers will definitely get that shot volume, probably a little bit more when it comes to a safety net now where he's at. Also, Daniel Gafford as well, someone who not only protects his role, but I think he's going to be utilized a little bit more than he was in Washington. Dallas needs some scoring up front. They haven't had it all year, so get them getting Gafford, I thought, was a very underrated move at the deadline. P.J. Washington as well going to Dallas. Again, no scoring up front, so they're going to need him to shoot, so expect his shot volume to rise. And then I'll say this, another under-the-radar move, Dennis Schroeder going to Brooklyn. I think they're going to essentially be careful all year for the rest of the year with how they utilize Ben Simmons. And I think you're going to be seeing a lot of Dennis Schroeder. And Dennis Schroeder actually plays very good defense. So I can start to see a situation where he's getting 30-plus minutes a night and might even still be out there on your waiver wires, too. I, I love it. Ben Simmons is finally able to play, but we still have to be careful with the guy. Like, yeah, the guy breaks easy <laughs> and call him Mr. Glass. Yeah, yeah. That'll, that'll set right off. Speaking of Mr. Yeah. Glass, don't you want to talk about Joel Embiid? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Great player that's not on the court. Uh, Justin, talk to us about the Sixers and what they do with Embiid out. Um, are you nervous, worried about this team? Obviously, losing a piece that's that important to a team and the league itself is not a positive. No, not at all. I and, mean, you know, this guy is your MVP. That's not going to qualify to win the MVP. It's very disappointing because he has been the best player all year. But, yeah, I am worried about the Sixers. And I'm even more concerned about their management right now, not really getting a big at the deadline. I, I don't understand that. I mean, this guy is going to miss most of the rest of the season. Who knows when he'll be back and who knows how he'll be utilized before the playoffs or even if he doesn't come back right when the playoffs begin. So why not trade for someone else? Paul Reed is going to have a tremendous amount of volume when it comes to his minutes. He's going to get some plays inside, but he's not the most proactive scorer. Now, they did get some more wing scoring, which has been good because they've had multiple starters out. The Anthony Melton is still out as well. But ultimately, with the Sixers team, you're going to start to see them run a little bit faster, in my opinion. But not having Embiid and not really having a big man that could dominate in the post or at least do half of what he can do really scares me about this team. And I think if you're any other team in the Eastern Conference surrounding them, because they have won a couple of games, and let's say they do stay in that sixth area, that sixth seed, oh, if on any team, that's breakfast at Tiffany's right there. <laughs> I want to face them in the first round. I saw that movie on the big screen, by the way. There San you go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do what I can. Let's, was that like talk? 1985 or something like that, right? No, I'm talking about the old school um, with Hepburn from the yeah, 50s. Black and white. Yeah. I forgot, Ray. You were, yeah. you were around in the 40s and the 50s. I was, yeah, with my top hat. Uh, <laughs> you jerk face. Uh, 
Let's talk a little bit about you, you obviously cover the basketball from all angles at, at fantasyguru.com, DFS, and all that. But obviously, the or also in addition is the prop game. And lately, it seems like you've kind of been focusing on the center position, Justin, when it comes to the props. Talk to us a little bit about that, why that is, and, and what kind of you're seeing in a general perspective with the center position. Yeah, so I sat down with Jeff Manns, who's been in that betting room every single night, and we, we talk about strategy. We talk about what we look for. Jeff and I do things a little bit differently. Jeff does put single bets out there, but he does a lot of alt-line parlays, which, by the way, it's very smart to do because these NBA lines are tough when it comes to the props. I stick for the most part with these single props. That's just what I've been going with from our subscribers at fantasyguru.com. A lot of them don't have access to certain books, so it's hard for them to do those specific alt-line parlays because, Ray, those are site-specific because we're going by their odds to try to get you two or three legs that could get you plus 100 or something like that. Not going to be the same on FanDuel and DraftKings. So I get it from that standpoint. So I try to stick with the single bets. And one of the things that Jeff and I talked about, because I was at one point on a little bit of a lull back in December, and I was just like, man, I can't figure this out. The matchup, everything, it's all adding up. It's just not working out. And one of the things I've learned from Jeff is lower point props. And that's something that I've been utilizing a little bit more. So, for instance, I've been going after some of those teams that really stink against centers and stink at playing defense anyway, because my thought process is this, guys. When you're the center in a high-octane pace-up spot where there's going to be a lot of transition back and forth, a lot of fast motion, for me, it's going to think that the center's going to make it back down to the court, and more often than not, he's either going to draw the mismatch or be wide open for a quick pass under the basket when the teams are moving constantly up and down at a fast pace. So we've been very, very powerful when it comes to the elite mafia betting on the point props. I look for 11.5. I look for 12.5. That's really where I'm looking, and it's working out, right? Like everybody's all like, ooh, Wembenyama, he's so great. I've been attacking Wembenyama every single time gives up a lot of points we've been cashing uh speaking of the rookie in san antonio had a triple double last i think it's 27 points 14 rebounds 10 blocks for his triple double um that has me thinking about blocks uh we don't talk about that category but it's one that we score um who've been the studs there for the season and secondly for people who are trying to improve in that category any names that might be floating around out there I mean, you you said it right there. By the way, I got to give props as well to, pun intended, to Chet Holmgren as well because he's also been blocking a lot of shots too. We talk a lot about Wemby. I mean, both of them have been absolutely extreme at blocking shots. Some of the guys, by the way, Kyle, that you could pick up. Ready for this name, Kyle? Get ready to laugh. Alex Caruso over the last <laughs> month. I am going to laugh. Yes. yes. <laughs> I knew you would. I know you. I get you. Alex Caruso, I mean, the reason why it's so funny is because this guy's a, a freaking shooting guard, small forward. That looks like Lex Luthor. Right, exactly. <laughs> Not Lex Luger, though. But yeah. Alex, Alex Caruso is blocking over two shots per game over the last month of action. And Zach Levine being done and the Bulls not making any moves at the deadline, they need his defense out there. So he's going to be playing a lot of minutes so he can still be out there. We don't know what the deal is with Mark Williams. Every time we think he's coming back, it seems like we get another update that he's going to miss an additional three weeks. So Nick Richards could still be out there as well for you to pick up. Precious Achua, very precious value right now because Julius Randle is going to miss at least a few more weeks. 
Isaiah Hartenstein, the Knicks standing center with Mitchell Robinson out, has been a little bit banged up too, missing games here and there. So he's been coming through huge as well. These are guys that could still be on your waiver wire. But Alex Caruso, if he's out there, man, I mean, not a consistent score, very solid defender. My nephew, Justin, is a big LaMelo Ball fan, and um, I dropped 100 bucks on a jersey for him, and this guy never, guy never plays, okay? He's, he's a really good basketball player, never plays hurt again. Um, talk to us about the Hornets. What, what do we have left here since they sold a lot of their pieces down the stretch with Ball dealing with yet another injury? It's pretty much at this point your top scores because here's the thing, right? I think LaMelo Ball's getting shut down. It's It's got to happen. It's just at this point – why bring him back? This guy's the Ball brothers are just so fragile. I feel bad for Alonzo, who's on Chicago, who when he's in, you just you know how good this Bulls team is defensively. Kind of the same thing with Lamelo as well. So now you're looking at Trey Mann, who got sent over in the Gordon Hayward deal, which went sent him to OKC. You've got Trey Mann and Vasai Michich as well. Also, somebody else that is going to get more minutes there. So your main scoring pieces are going to continue to be Miles Bridges and Brandon Miller, the rookie, who I think has been showing off very nicely too. But without Mark Williams there in the middle, you're really looking at Bridges and Brandon Miller as your main scorer. And then Trey Mann is someone with sneaky value and someone we're going to continue utilizing until they price them up in DFS. Uh, Justin Finsterman talking NBA with us here on FSD. A couple more quick ones for you. All-Star Weekends this weekend, by the way. Indianapolis hosting the games on uh, Sunday. I'm guessing the over-under is probably 380. Uh, something <laughs> something like that for that. But Saturday night, you know, the skills competition is, you know, for, for those of us of a certain age, it used to be like a huge thing. Like a, I, I remember recording it and watching it the next day and dissecting it. And it was huge. It was great. Um, not so much anymore. But Ray, I mean, but Justin, you can wager on this stuff. Do you ever find yourself wagering on NBA Saturday night? I don't. I don't. And I know I'm going to get asked in Discord. And I'm going to be like Ray when he's answering lineup questions for Fantasy Sports Radio on Sirius XM on X. I'm going to be telling people the same thing for an eternity. <laughs> because everybody's going to be desperate to put action. We're about to enter a week of inactivity. Yeah. And this is all we have. But Kyle, there's no basis. I can't do any research for you on this. You don't know who's having side conversations with the coach being like, hey, yeah, I'm starting. Play me five minutes, and that's it. People don't care. They don't. They just don't care about it. So with that, I don't have that kind of basis. The dunk contest, I'll tell you this. It's normally someone random, so maybe Jacob Toppin is going to win it because of that. I wouldn't put the money on Jalen Brown. I will say this. One of my favorite players to watch in the league this year from Miami, Jaime Jaquez. Uh-huh. Oh, high flyer. This guy, I think, an underrated dude maybe for the dunk contest. But, again, this is all guesstimating right here. And then yeah. for the three-point shootout, I mean, I'm looking Craig at – Craig Hodges. Craig Hodges, that's where you go. Right. Yeah. I'm looking at maybe a guard, someone with a quick release like a Donovan Mitchell or a Trey Young. But, th- again, there's no basis of research for this. There's none. Well, you bet on the Royal Rumble. No, I mean, right. <laughs> that's different. That's not based on skill. That's knowing you're going in with a. It's a game of chance. That everybody knows there is absolutely no skill in my Royal Rumble pool. With betting, <laughs> there's supposed to be some skill and research attached to it. I can't research this kind of game. So I'm going to say I'm going to give my opinion to everybody in Discord. But I'm going to say this is your money. You are throwing away out the freeway. Last thing, D-Money in our chat room wondering about Nas Reed. 
for tonight. Uh, Minnesota had a big win against the Clippers last night, playing Portland this evening. So it's a back-to-back -back for Minnesota. I guess the idea is, is Carl Anthony Towns, you know, maybe, or Gobert, you know, less minutes for them. But uh, Nas Reed, is he, uh, as an early look at DFS tonight, would he be of interest? He will be in the value section of the power forward. So D-Money Sports is right on the money because he's going to be in that right up tonight. Guy who doesn't need a lot of minutes, but they'll still commit to him anyway. So the back-to-back, -back, because Minnesota was in a blowout, you know the minutes aren't going to be too concerning. So I'm not worried as much about fatigue. But Nas Reed is someone that I'm always constantly looking at for value. So in this kind of environment, he's going to be in. I'm fine with it. Low value, low price too on the site. Uh, that game's 10 o'clock, Minnesota at Portland tonight. One of six games coming your way tonight. So we will have DFS write-ups, cheat sheets, all that stuff coming out at fantasyguru.com. Uh, Justin, we're uh, past the uh, time that we should be with you because we got to you late. That's my fault. But uh, we appreciate you jumping on board. Great NBA stuff. Uh, thank you again last week. You filled in for me. I appreciate that. And uh, we'll talk to you next week, okay? Guys, thank you so much again for having me. You bet. Justin Finsterman talking a little hoops with us. Uh, we do it every Tuesday here at FSD. In closing, a couple of quick things on the baseball side. Um, Shohei Otani's taken BP. Yesterday was his first BP since the elbow surgery. So that's a good sign. I mean, we're a month and a half away from the season starting. Edwin Diaz, remember him? Uh, he is throwing from the hill. Not really running, but Edwin Diaz, who blew out his knee last year in the World Baseball Classic. Uh, coming back as the closer for the Mets. And Joe Musgrove, another guy to kind of follow, who missed probably the last two months of last year. Um, he says he's ready and willing to go. I will note uh, Padres Dodgers, Ray, playing in South Korea. I think it's like five or six days before the actual opening day. So for those who really care about this stuff, uh, your drafts, if you don't want to have any numbers mm -hmm. that people are drafting, you're going to have to draft like, March 18th or something, I guess. Yeah, I remember years ago when the Broncos and Peyton Manning, what he throw for six touchdowns in week one? Yeah. Uh, and it was, it was and people were still drafting, so he went up three rounds in the draft. Yeah, they, that Thursday night game, he yeah. threw six touchdowns. Yeah. yeah, and it's like, I can win week one if I just draft Peyton Manning. So, yeah, that's something to think about. It's obviously much different in baseball. Um, but, yeah, and again, this team's running to take over the world. Sports want to take over the world. Yeah, it's something we got to factor in. Um, and then as we talk about spring training, there was a report uh, yesterday uh, with the Tampa Bay Rays, Junior Caminero, who actually got a mention in our chat room earlier, uh, one of the best prospects in baseball. He's 20 years old. A uh, report out of Tampa say very unlikely to break camp with this Rays team. Um, as you talk about all the time, Ray, he's not only young, but he's pretty inexperienced. He hasn't had a ton of time, mm -hmm. like even at double A. Uh, we did get to see him last year, though, surprisingly, in the majors. So that, that may very well be true, Ray. But I think he's going to be up pretty early for the Rays. That's my belief. I I don't dislike the idea of drafting him, even if he's not on this team opening day. And we'll talk about him later in the week. But I, I think he should be drafted in all leagues, even if he's not with this team on opening day. I think it all comes down to your league size and your bench size and your willingness to sit on guys. Because it, it could be two weeks. It could be four months. I mean, you never know how this is going to go. But he not clearly – the, the top 50 ranking uh, rookies over at fantasyguru.com. We've got Caminero eighth for mm -hmm. 2024. So he's in our top 10, to your point. So he is draftable, yes. Yeah. Um, but we just don't know when it's going to get started. Got to get him a position, too, every day. Kind of figure out where he fits in the puzzle there for the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, tomorrow, we're talking Baltimore. Tomorrow, we're talking third baseman who let you down last year. Uh, tomorrow, we've got more from Rays Draft Guide. 
maybe some football. Who knows what else? Uh, that'll do it for today. 11 a.m. is when you can join us on Wednesday. Ray, have an excellent Tuesday. And uh, maybe Solaire was just the first door to open and Matt Chapman's coming through the next door. How, how about that? You'd have two guys who could hit you 30-plus home runs. That would make sense. And I think the fans would feel much better if the Giants indeed were to do that. Yeah. And they'd still finish third in the, you know, West. probably. Yes. <laughs> Maybe not. They could finish. Hey, just got to get into October. And they could, it's not beating the Dodgers. Just got to get to October. That's what the game plan is for those teams in the West. Uh, Ray, take it easy. We'll talk tomorrow. Sounds good, Cal. Big thanks to everybody in the chat rooms Facebook, Twitter, X, YouTube, everything. People downloading us too. We always appreciate that. We'll uh, catch you in 23 hours. Kyle Alfred, Gray Flowers, Fantasy Sports Daily, powered by fantasyguru.com.